Turn to Isaiah chapter 60. We'll be reading verses 1 through 3. I'll read in your hearing. The Bible reads, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's always good to be among fellow believers. Most of the time we're out in the world, we're surrounded by unbelievers, but it's truly a blessing and a privilege to be among fellow believers. And thank you for all being here today. What a God. What a God. He tells us to arise and shine. He tells and tells us to make the light. He tells us to just arise, take a step of faith, and watch what I can do for you. Arise, shine, for your light is come. It's out there. We just need to let it shine. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon us. Isn't that good news? The glory of God is risen upon you if you choose to allow it to be upon you. And as we see, you know, the darkness is on the earth, and now it's gross darkness. Gross darkness, perfect description of our world, isn't it? Everywhere you look out there, it's dark and only getting darker and darker. Gross darkness. But the Lord shall arise upon you. What good news. And you know, we were reading this morning in, uh, in Jeremiah 32, and Jeremiah asked the question, Lord, is there anything too hard for you to do? And when God responds and says, nothing's too hard for me. Nothing's impossible for God. And so God says, let your light shine. Let my glory rise upon you. And his glory shall be seen upon you. So God's glory is something evident. It's not something theoretical. It's a, it's a real thing, just as God is real. His glory can be seen upon each and every one of us, if we so choose. I have a uh, spirit of prophecy. Boy, I, I hope uh, you know, Barbara inspired you about reading the spirit of prophecy. It is... It is such a blessing that we have in our midst, and I hope you all partake of it. This is a quote from her, Acts of the Apostles. God has called his people to glory and virtue. That's what God has called us to. He hasn't called, he's called us to save us, but he's saving us by calling us to his glory. And what's God's glory? His character. And these and his glory will be manifest in the lives of all who are truly connected with him. Amen. Are you connected? Amen. It's not, you know, it's, you can't just have a relationship with God. The devil has a relationship with God. All his evil angels have a relationship with God. But we need to be connected with God. And there's a vast difference. God has called his people to glory and virtue, and these will be manifest in the lives of all who are truly connected with him. 
None need fail of attaining to perfection of Christian character. By the sacrifice of Christ, provision has been made for the believer to receive all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have to believe it before you can receive it. You have to believe it. But none need fail of attaining to perfection of character. We just have to take God at his word, believe it, and let God do the rest. Before the believer is held out the wonderful possibility of being like Christ. Wow. Being like Christ. Obedient to all the principles of the law. That's what, and that's what God is looking for. He's looking for that group of people who are going to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And they're going to be, because they follow the Lamb and believe in him, they're going to be changed into his likeness. Before the believer is held out the possibility of being like Christ. So do you want to be like Christ? Anybody want to be like Christ? It's there for the taking. All you have to do, you have to believe it. That's the first step. Okay, I want to share with you then a very familiar story Jesus told in Matthew 25. And it's the parable of the, the, wise, uh, the ten virgins. Parable of the ten virgins. You know, it's interesting how Matthew is set up. For chapter 24, Jesus tells you what the world's going to look like before he comes. And then from 45 down to 50, he, he starts to diverge. And now he's talking about two different servants in the church, the faithful servant and the unfaithful servant. And then he goes into chapter 25, the parable of the virgins. And here is brought to view the church living in the last days. This is what Spirit of Prophecy is telling us about the, this passage. Here we see the church in the last days just before Jesus comes. This is what it is going to look like. In this parable, their experience, the experience of the church is illustrated. We're going to see not only what the church looks like, but how they are going to behave. Christ tells the story of the ten virgins, and by their experience, he's illustrating the experience of the church that shall live just before the second coming. So this is important. This, you know, we always want to know what, what's coming down the road. Well, this is what's coming down the road right here. This is what this church is going to look like and, and the experience that it's going to have before Jesus comes. And he's coming soon. That's good news, isn't it? I don't know if you people listen to the news or not. And not the regular news, but you know, the alternative news. But this world is just ready to go down the toilet. It is just, you know, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. You, you know, sometimes you have to, and you should, turn it off because it's just, it's so bad and it's just so overwhelming. But, it, 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 you know, we should be aware of where we stand in time. And so I do listen to it once in a while. And the things you hear are just, you, you know, we, we talk about, Jesus said it's going to be like uh, the days of Noah. And what was the, what was the condition of, of the days of Noah? Every thought 
was only evil continually, continually. And that's what we're seeing now. Everywhere we look, evil, evil, evil. And it's only growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's good news because we're getting closer to the end. It's, it's hard to live in it, but this is where God says he'll take care of us. And so Jesus is going to tell us a story here, the parable of the ten virgins in chapter 25, Matthew. And so he, after he tells his disciples what the world's going to look like, now he's going to tell us what the church looks like. And by the way, it says in the spirit of prophecy, we have more to fear from within than from without. So this is important. And so I just want to review this with you. Orville brought up the good point where God, you know, God just is, has to keep reminding us. He has to remind us because we've, we've read this parable how many times, Kenton? Hundreds, right? We know it by heart, but it's good to hear it again, isn't it? It's so good because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded because we are prone to forget. So Jesus is now going to tell us this story of what the church is going to look like just before he comes. Verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, familiar story, right? Now, back in Jesus' day, this is how they got married. The, the, the bridegroom lived over there. The bride lived over there. And, they, and the bridegroom went from his house to get the bride and marry her and bring her back to his house. And so this is what Jesus is talking about here. And, and, and it says that in the day they had these uh, weddings in the evening time. So this is why they needed lamps. Because back then there's no electricity. And how are you going to find your way around unless you have a lamp? And so this is what's going on here. This is the lamps they took, and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. They're, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come and get his wife and bring him back to her house. And so that's what this is all about. They're, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And that's what we're doing. We're waiting for Jesus to come. He's coming to get his bride, and we're all waiting for him to come. Verse 2, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Okay, so we have, we have two classes now in, in the church here, wise and foolish. So we see two classes of servants. They're looking for Christ's appearing because they're waiting for the bridegroom. They profess to be waiting for their Lord, and they're called virgins. And they're called virgins because they profess a pure faith. They have a faith in God and what they know, they profess it to, what they can, uh, to the extent that they can express it. So they're called virgins. Now, notice now, they, they all go out to meet the bridegroom. They all have lamps and vessels for oil. There's no apparent difference between them. You know, if you were standing there looking at them, you say, they all look the same. They all have a knowledge of scripture, because they're all there waiting. They all, all heard of Christ soon coming. And they're all confidently expecting his appearing. They all looks good, doesn't it? Yes. They all look good. But what happens? Some are called wise and some are called foolish. So, they, so it says they, they took their lamps and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, I, I'm not, I don't know. In the old days, they had kerosene lamps. I'm sure I don't, most of us know what they are. 
And in order to make the lamp burn, you had to have oil for fuel. And you lit the wick, and the oil fed up to the wick, and it burned and gave off light. I'm sure we're all familiar. This is, but this is, so they're, they're carrying lamps. Now, what does the lamp represent in the Bible? The word of God, very good. Psalm 119, 105, what does it say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay, so that's what the lamp represents, and this is why they're called virgins. They're, they're carrying their Bibles around. They got the word. They got the word. But now there's the oil. The oil, you need the oil for the lamp, because without, with no oil, what do you got? No light, right? No light. So we need the oil. And what's the oil? The Holy Spirit, right? We won't go there, but in, you get a chance, go to Ze, uh, Zechariah chapter 4, beautiful description. We have, you have the two olive trees with the pipes coming to them, and they're going, feeding into the bowl of the lamp. And from the olive trees, which represents the word of God, is the oil, the word being transferred by the spirit into the lamp. And once it's into the lamp, now what happens, the, the lamp can shine, it can give off light. So the oil is the, is the spirit. And, and again, you know, God, God's spirit is there to make the word come alive. Because we can read this word. A worldly person could read this word. But what's it going to do for him without the spirit? Nothing. He might be smart. He might learn how to read. But as far as being transformed by God into something godly, it's not going to work without the spirit, without the oil, without the Holy Spirit. And so the oil represents the grace with which God keeps the lamps of believers supplied. They need the fuel in order to give off the light. Because what did Jesus say about doing anything without him? You can't do nothing. nothing. You can't do anything without Jesus, without God. And we, we can see that. And so we have this, this influence of the Spirit. And again, we call it this grace of God. And remember in Titus, in chapter 2, it talks about the grace of God. And that grace doesn't just forgive you and make you feel nice. That grace teaches you to live godly, soberly, and righteously here and now in this present world, it says. And so we, we see that God's spirit is a, or has a practical transforming influence on the person who accepts it and believes it. That spirit is going to do something. And again, we can all testify how that spirit has transformed us in one way or another. So we see that we have five wise and five foolish virgins. Now, if you look up that word wise in the, uh, in the Greek uh, concordance, you come up with words like they're thoughtful, they're discreet, they have, they're cautious. They have a cautious character. This is what a wise person is. He's discreet. And one other thing a wise person does is he foresees what's coming and he prepares for it. Foolish, if you look up, you come up with words like dull, stupid, shut up, meaning not with your mouth but with your mind probably. 
You know, you're, and you know, that's not very important. You know, tradition is a tough thing sometimes to crack. You know, we've been brought up thinking different ways. I was brought up a Catholic. And, you know, we, we've acquired all these ideas and thoughts through the ages. And sometimes we don't want to part with them. But it's important to have an open mind. Because if you don't, you're going to be shut up. And if, and, and if God is trying to you know, educate you and, you and you're going to not open the door to him, you're going to be foolish. And so, again, you know, this is the, it's an idea of being foolish. You know, it's being closed-minded and not uh, wanting to hear, hear the truth. So, you know, we, we always want to, you know, listen. We don't have to accept it, but we want to be willing to listen to, say, anybody, as long as they're rational. And another description of the um, foolish, are they're careless. They're careless. They don't, they're careless in one way or another. So these are a few ideas of the foolish. They, the foolish took their lamps. What does it say in verse 3? They that were foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them. What a thing. No, no, no wonder they're called foolish. How are you going to have a light without the fuel in it? It's like having a battery with no, I'm sorry, a flashlight with no batteries in it. When you need the light and you turn it on, there's nothing there. And it's the same with us. If, if we, we're going to if we're going to seek God, but we're not going to take his spirit in, we're going to be in the dark. So these are a few characteristics of the foolish. They have a regard for the truth. They advocate the truth. And they're attracted to the truth. Sounds good, doesn't it? But they have not fallen on Jesus and permitted their old nature to be broken up. Wow. They like the way they are. They want the best of both worlds. They want, they want God, but they want to be like they are. They receive the word readily, but fail of assimilating its principles. You know, assimilate's a big word, but you know what that means? It's like when you eat food, right? You eat food, you chew it up, you digest it, it goes down into your intestines. And now your body takes the nutrients out and assimilates it into your body so you get the vital principles of the food. And it's the same with the word of God. We can read this word of God, but without the spirit, we can't assimilate the, what God is trying to, the vital principles of it all. So they receive the word, but they fail to assimilate its principles because they're content with a superficial work. A superficial work. They're, they just want they just want it easy, you know. They 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 want to they just want to waltz into heaven without having to struggle. They're content with a superficial work. Their service to God degenerates into a form. And you know what that means? They go to church once a week. They open their Bibles in the morning every day. They, it's a form. They, they, they go through a, a ritual, but it says there's no genuine work of grace in the heart. And in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, Peter, uh, Paul talks about this. He says, in the last day, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. 
And these are what the foolish virgins are. If you remember the parable of the soils that Jesus taught, there was one class that were called the stony ground hearers. And if you ever had a garden, you know what happens when you try to plant a seed in stony ground. It might grow a little, but then you know, it doesn't make it. And so this, these, are, these are the characteristics of the foolish. They, they, like to, they like the sound of it all, but they, for some reason, they can't quite get it all together. Something is in the way. The wise, in verse 4, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So here's we see that this is the difference. It's the oil that makes the difference. And some characteristics of the wise, they received the grace of God. And again, this grace of God is not the one that most people will tell you when they ask you what's the grace of God, and what will they tell you? What's the classic definition of the grace of God? It's this heavenly influence that God loves you and he's going to take care of you, which is true. But when we go to the Bible, the Bible tells us the grace of God is also something that's going to transform you into something different. When you're in Christ, you're a, you're a new creature. And when you are a new creature, what's going to happen? You're going to grow up into the full stature that God wants us to be. So, they, so the wise, they receive this grace of God. They earnestly are seeking for purity of heart and life. And the key word in here is earnestly. It's not a casual thing. What's your number one priority in your life? This is the questions we need to ask. And this, this is what makes the difference between the wise and the foolish. What did Jesus say to seek first? The kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to So they earnestly are seeking for purity of heart and life. They have a personal experience, a faith in God and his word, which could not be overthrown by disappointment or delay. You know, have, have we experienced God enough in our lives to know, to know, deep down into your heart that God is there and he's going to take care of you no matter what. And then, and, this, and this, this is the hard part probably for us all to wait, to wait for that because we live in an impatient world. And waiting is a hard thing. Waiting is a hard thing. I was waiting this morning for my neighbor to come over for a Bible study. He said, I'm coming at 8 o'clock this morning. And I was sitting there from 7.30 to almost 9 o'clock waiting for him. And I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and this happens to Barbara and I so many times. And we always ask the question, why, Lord? Why do we always have to wait? Yeah, it makes you patient. <laughs> How else do you get patient? You got to wait. We got to wait. But anyways, we have to wait. And, but, you know, are we waiting and, and at that same time, knowing that God is there, he's going to work everything together for good. He's our, and this is what this is, makes you wise. When, but again, it, it comes with experience because, you know, at first we're not. But the more we experience God, the, the more you experience God, don't you learn to trust him more and more and more? 
And then as you trust him more and more, you rely on him more and more and more until it's just habitual. Like the flower turns to the sun, we, we turn to God. Amen. This is what God is, is trying to develop in us. Because how are we going to make it through the end unless we, we trust in God? When every earthly support is going to be cut off, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when, when every earthly support and you can't buy or sell? What are we going to do? We're going to trust God. We're going to remember Elijah. Remember Elijah? And he was sitting by the stream for so many months. And the birds came and brought him food and the water was there. What a God. What a God. Why? <laughs> what a God. Um, okay, another characteristic of the wise. They practice the truth. They practice the truth. And that's important because that shows what? It shows connection. It shows connection. It shows the oil is working in there. It's transformed you now so that you're not only believing the truth, but you're practicing it. It's, it's your life now. It's so beautiful, isn't it? How can you look? You look back in your past and you see how you some of these uh, godly truths and stuff we didn't really believe in or we shunned, but now God has changed us. He's changed us. So now the things we once hated, we love, and the things we once loved, we hate. This is the influence of the Spirit. The wise, their affections are set on things above. You know, we're, we're waiting for Jesus to come. This is, this, is, well, this is our number one priority. We're waiting for Jesus to come. This, this world has nothing, nothing to, to attract us, nothing to offer us. And, and because of that, the wise are giving off light through good works to the world. Jesus said, let your light shine. He said, let it shine. Even, even amid the gross darkness of this world, let it shine. And so God is looking for those people. And what described in Philippians chapter 2, it, it is, uh, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure that you may be blameless and harmless, sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what God is looking for. And there's going to be in the church five wise, five wise, five foolish. Okay, back to Matthew. So the bridegroom, so verse five, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. All of them, even the wise. And you know, this is something, you know, this is, this is something, because if they're wise, why did they sleep? <laughs> but everybody gets tired. Yeah. Everybody gets tired. I mean, this world is a hard place. Yeah. And it, it, it'll grind you down. Yeah. It'll grind you down if, if you're not careful. Amen. Right, Kenton? Yes. You, you know, you cannot avoid the law of God. If you break the law, you're going to suffer the penalty. There's no getting around it. God's a God of mercy, but he's a God of justice. And if you break the law and you touch the hot stove, you're going to get burned. Okay, so they all slept. They all slept. And verse 6, 
And at midnight, their cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. And it's interesting, you know, that the cry came at midnight. And what is midnight usually called? The darkest hour, right? Jesus is coming when? Darkest hour of this planet. And it says here, it is in a crisis that character is revealed. It's a crisis. And, the, and you know, this is where the separation is going to occur at the crisis. You know, we're going to have a country, our, our country is heading that way, where it's going to mandate a Sunday law, a, a day to worship on that day. And this is, this is going to be the test for us if we're still alive at that time. In that crisis, character is going to be revealed. When the cry was made at midnight, the virgins were aroused, and it was seen who had made preparation for the event. Because what happened? They got up, they went to light their lamps, the foolish didn't have any oil, and we know the rest of the story. When they, when they came to the marriage feast, knocked on the door to come in, what did Jesus say? I know you not. I know you not. And this is what, this is the reality of all. And you know, we're, we're told in the spirit of prophecy, there's coming a big separation here in the Adventist church. And, and it sounds like the way she words it, the majority are going to be among the foolish and not among the wise. Crisis. When the crisis comes, it's going to show what character you really have. Are we making the preparation? The, 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 the wise virgins slept, but when the crisis came, they were ready for it. They had the extra oil in their flasks. Both parties were taken unaware, but one was prepared, and the other was found without preparation. So now, she say, a sudden and unlooked-for calamity that brings the soul face-to-face -face with death will show whether there's any real faith. You know, think about it. I mean, you know, we, we've read about this so many times. Every earthly support is cut off. The country now is mandating that you, you have to go to church on Sunday. Penalties are there, fines, imprisonment, eventually death. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you've been preparing for it, you're going to trust God through it all. Because God said he's going to take care of his people through it all. And that's the extra oil. Are you filling up your vessels with extra oil? This is the time to be doing it all. Is there any real faith in God's promises? It will show whether the soul is sustained by grace. You know, because the only way we're going to get through this is by trusting and relying on God. So they all arose. Five were unready. They come to the door. Jesus says, I know you not. She says, Spirit of prophecy said, saddest of all words ever spoken. Jesus saying, I don't know you. Who are you? I don't know you. And remember, these are people in the church. These aren't people in the world. These are people who think they're right with God, who they're, they're ready to go up with God. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. I can't let you in here. I don't know you. Turn to Luke, Luke chapter 13. I just want to show you a couple of very important scriptures. 
Luke chapter 13. We're going to pick up verse 23 and 24. Jesus is going through the villages teaching and he's journeying toward Jerusalem. Then verse 23, one said to him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And Jesus said to him, strive to enter in at the straight or narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. Shall not be able to enter in. Why? It takes effort. That word strive, if you look at it in the Greek, it means to strive as if in agony. Agony. Do we strive as if in agony to get right with God? These are the, these are the wise versions. These are the ones who are going to, Jesus is going to let in. He's going to say, I don't know you. Strive to enter in as in agony. And notice, at the straight gate, the narrow gate. You know, we have to do it God's way. It's God's way or no way. Jesus says, strive to enter in. And he says, I say to you, many will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. They're not able to because they're not prepared. Next, turn over to the next page to Luke chapter 14, and Jesus makes it even clearer. Chapter 14 of Luke, and he Jesus is teaching the great multitude. In verse 26, he says, If any man come to me and hates not his father and mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You cannot be Jesus' disciple if you put anything before Jesus. That's what he's saying there. And drop down to verse 33. He sums it up. He says, Whoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. That's Jesus' words. That's powerful, isn't it? You cannot be Jesus' disciple if you don't strive with everything you have to enter in and if you will not forsake everything that you have. That's what Jesus is saying there. And you know, and you can see why, because if we hold back on Jesus, he's going to hold back on us. And then you know what happens? The devil comes in. And the devil, you know, he knows how to get in there and start to, start to try to deceive and, and delude you. It's important. Jesus said it. He said, I know you not. I know you not. And again, these are people who think they know Jesus, who are doing all these wonderful works for Jesus. Spirit of prophecy, she says, you are shut out from heaven by your own unfitness for its companionship. We have to have a certain fitness to be with Jesus, to be with God. And, what, and that fitness is sin out of our lives. So we're shut out. We cannot be ready to meet the Lord by waking when the cry is heard and then filling our empty lamps. Too late. We cannot keep Christ apart from our lives here and yet be fitted for his companionship in heaven. Can we? Doesn't make you how could you be? Because if we're going with God, we we have to know about him, we have to let him work in us. So we so they so there we have the separation, the wise and the foolish. So the coming of the bridegroom was at midnight, the darkest hour, 
And so Christ's coming is going to be in the darkest period of Earth's history. And like you know, I say, it's just listen, listen to the news once in a while, and you'll see. Look, I don't know if you've seen what happened in Florida. What a wasteland. And again, the spirit of prophecy says most of the major cities in the United States are going to be leveled like that. I mean, we have no conception of what is coming our way. We have a slight idea, but we see hints of it here and there. But this is, this is what this world is coming down to. Darkest period of Earth's history. Satan's work is plainly revealed by rapidly increasing darkness, multitudinous errors, heresies, and delusions of these last days. The great apostasy will develop into darkness deep as midnight, she says. Deep as midnight. But, I always like buts. You know, you know what but is in grammar? We're changing direction now, right? We're in deep darkness, apostasy, and boy, it looks bad. But, out of the darkness, God's light will shine. Out of the light. So turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and we have this treasure in our earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Wow. Wow. And verse 11. For we, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's what Jesus is looking for. Vessels that want to shine brightly for him. And he's going to have them in the darkness. You know, this is referring to original creation, right? God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And he can do the same for us. He can command the light to shine out of our dark hearts if, he, if we so choose to have it done. And so this is what God is looking for. In the parable, the wise virgin's light burned with undimmed flame. They lit their lamps, they went with the bridegroom, and shining out in the darkness, it helped, it helped to illuminate the way to the home of the bridegroom. So the wise virgins not only are going to be with the bridegroom, but they're going to help others to be there too. The followers of Christ are to shed light into the darkness of the world. That's what we're here for. How do we do that? She tells us, a cheerful face, a warm handshake, encouraging words. Doesn't take much, does it? But that's the light God, God wants to work in us. Through the Spirit, God's word is a light as it becomes a transforming power in the life of the receiver. Is God transforming you to make you a light in this dark world? You know, it's so easy to be a light. You know, one thing that I, that I always do when I go into the store and there's someone coming behind me, you hold the door open. 
And people give you the, the strangest look. <laughs> because nobody does it anymore. Everybody is so uncourteous in this world. But, you know, courtesy is a, is a blessing. And people notice it. So smile. People go walking by and you wave. My wife trains me all the time. Wave to everybody. Wave to everybody. And you, and, you know, it makes a difference. You see a guy out working in his yard and you go by and you wave to him and he sees it. And he goes like this. Wow, you just made the guy stay. Simple little things, right, Barb? Okay, transforming power. The Holy Spirit develops in men the attributes of God. That's what, that's what it's all about, developing the attributes of God. The light of his character, his glory, is to shine forth in his followers. And that's what Isaiah said in our scripture verse. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon us. Arise, shine. Um, by the way, uh, if you get a chance, read this. This is all from Christ's Object Lessons, the last chapter. All these uh, notes I'm giving you. At this time, a message from God is to be, be proclaimed, a message illuminating in his influence. And she says, this is the last message God is going to give to the world. What is it? His character is to be made known. And how? Through us. Through us. This is God's last message to the world. The message is, behold your God. Behold your God. Here he is. He's in here. Behold your God. And again, you know, we don't want to, you know, I'm not discounting it, but people don't need a Bible study. They need to see. They need to see the gospel in, in living color. In living color. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, behold your God. Behold your God. Here he is. The last rays of light, the last message of mercy given to the world is a revelation of God's character of love. God's character of love. The children of God are to manifest his character in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. What has the grace of God done for you? This is what God is looking for. He's looking for a return on his investment. Christ does not bid his followers strive to shine. He says, he says, let it shine. Let your light shine. It's there. Let your light shine. Open the door. Let me in. Let me in wide and watch what I can do. She says, if you have received the grace of God, the light is in you. Remove the obstructions and the Lord's glory will be revealed. Remove whatever obstructing God's light from shining. And it's our choice. God won't remove those ob obstructions. It's for us to do. But when we remove them, the light is going to shine. And in Isaiah, in uh, chapter 60, as a result, he says, the people are going to come to that light. They're going to flow in. In, in concluding, let's go to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah in chapter 8. 
And we see a prophecy of this in action here. Zechariah chapter 8, we'll read verses 22 and 23. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, in God's church, and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Wow. Wow. The revelation of God's glory in the form of humanity will bring heaven so near to men that the beauty adorning the inner temple will be seen in every soul in whom Christ dwells. Men will be captivated by the glory of an abiding Christ. Wow. Wow. That's what God is trying to develop in us. Uh, an abiding Christ in here, seen out there, so that men are captivated by the glory of it. Glory is an interesting word. Have you ever, you know what glory is? You know, you see a beautiful sunset, it's glorious. You see a rainbow in the sky, double rainbow, it's glorious. And this is what God is trying to make us glorious. Glorious. Something that you can't miss. And it's all there. All we have to do is remove the obstructions, and the Lord's glory will be revealed. So that's it. That's the story of the, the virgins. God has called his people the glory and virtue. And these will be manifest. I love how it's phrased. God doesn't lie, does he? So somebody is going to be there, and it could be all of us. God's glory is going to be manifest in the lives of those who are truly connected with him. Amen. So brothers and sisters, let's sing our final song. 594. And let's remember this parable. Because again, like Brother Orville said, God has to continually remind us, remind us, remind us what he's trying to do and how he's going to accomplish it. <laughs>